Uh, name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. We are continuing our series, Replaced, but I got a couple questions before we jump in. I'm hoping that this, that was me, I hope, right? There we go. See, there we go. Perfect. And is it just going to go through the whole thing? I'm going to hit the buttons to see what happens. We've had more trouble with our clicker. We found out the USB port is loose, and so the other one doesn't work. So I got my old one, which I thought worked, but then I forgot it did this. So <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Not awkward at all. Okay, we're at the first one. I'm going to try and hit the button one time. There we go. Uh, when you think about Jesus and we talk about a relationship with Jesus, there's different words that you could use. I think one of those would be teammate. People talk about teammate. So which of these do you prefer the most? So we got teammate is option one, coach, replacement, or inspiration. I can get, I mean, you know the right answer because of the name of the sermon series is replaced. So, but most of these, uh, all these are actually pretty good. And I think the reason why you say, no, 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 I'd never even think about those things is just think about your own life. If someone was going to describe you and they said, this is when they think of you and they think of your name, this is what comes up to mind and you go to work or you're on a team and they say, you know what? That person is just really a great teammate. If that's how they talk at your work. I don't know if they talk in teams or family or something like that, but doesn't that feel good? I think that feels good. If someone said, you know, Jared is just a really good teammate. So when I played sports, that would feel good. It would feel good if I was a part of church and we have a lot of volunteers and they just said, yeah, he's just a good teammate. I think that feels good. What about coach? I think, I think that actually works as well, too, especially as you get a little bit older, you get more experience, you're doing stuff. Now, someone just expressed that to you. The longer you're doing something, there's a great joy in to be able to kind of pass some of that on to other people to help them teach and, uh, to teach and so that they can learn. You've read, what is that, Siegel book, Jonathan or something? There's some Siegel teaching book. What's the name of it? I didn't pay attention to that class, I guess. So, um, so coach, I thought that feels pretty good. I'll jump to inspiration. What happens? Like, how, would this be the worst thing if someone came to work, or you went to work, or you went to school, and someone said, you know what? You're my inspiration. I think that's pretty good. I think that's pretty solid. Like, I can't think of too many situations where that would be bad unless you're, they're not doing something that's good, and they're like sitting at work, and they're not doing anything. They're like, hey, you're my inspiration. <laughs> well, that doesn't quite work. But most of the time, I think that would feel pretty good. So when we think about, in positive ways, we could think, man, Jesus is a great teammate, and Jesus does give us some, uh, some coaching type things and inspiration. Replacement, though, I, I, that doesn't quite have the same ring to it. If someone said, you know what, you're really a great replacement. Anyone here been divorced? <laughs> like, is that, how, is that what they said when you said, hey, I wrote my own vows for our, our marriage ceremony. You're a great replacement. Like, that doesn't, that doesn't quite feel that good. Has anyone named their dog replacement? <laughs> no? <laughs> No, I mean, no, right? Like, this does not feel that good. Replacement is not a feel-good story. It's not something that feels good inside, even though it, it's something that is good. So we're going to spend a little bit of time. It's not so much empowerment. And some people focus on Jesus as, yeah, he empowers me to do the right thing. That's really not the main focus of what Christ has done. Jesus' main focus is replacing and doing the things that we couldn't do. And that just never feels good. It never feels good to be at work, and there's no inspirational stories. There's inspirational stories about someone who stepped in. There's inspirational stories when, like, the star gets hurt, and then, you know, Rudy, well, Rudy wasn't an inspirational story. Uh, what's the story where someone stepped in and won? So I'm trying to think. I just lost him. But we've got all kinds of stories 
I was going to say Mighty Casey at bat. That's not an inspirational story either. Like the, under the pressure, this is not going well. You're thinking, why can't we get a replacement right now? So, uh, <laughs> but, but there's these stories. There's this idea that says it's kind of magical, and we kind of all dream to be the one who steps up. And it, the, we all kind of dream that moment where things aren't going right, and they say, you know what? I need you. And you're like, and then you, you feel trained, and you feel ready, and you nail the big shot. Like that, there's, there's something to that. And even though, like, we don't want to admit it, it does feel good. It, maybe you're a grandmother or something like that, and the other grandmother follows, you know, doesn't follow through. How good does it feel to be like, oh, I think I can make myself available that weekend? Right? That feels good. It feels good when, like, some friend maybe lets someone down, and they're like, I knew you could be there for me. Right? This all feels good, but it does not feel good to be the one who needs to be replaced, which is what we're doing. So I've got a couple posters here. Uh, persistence. These are these motivational posters. You just need that one successful idea to shine the light on how much time you've wasted. <laughs> leadership. The supreme quality of leadership is unquestionable integrity without it the real success no real success is possible so i'll let you figure out if these are motivational posters or demotivational <laughs> get to work you aren't being paid to believe in the power of your dreams <laughs> teamwork ensuring that your hard work can always be ruined by someone else's incompetence <laughs> Today is the first day of the rest of your life, but so was yesterday, and look how that turned out. So there's a whole bunch of great ones, like uh, you've seen the one with like the cat holding on, like it, some of these are really funny, and I couldn't find them, I was looking. They, I like that all the fonts look the same, but some are just let go, you should just give up. Um, why are you trying so hard? Like all these posters like that you could get at work, right? you could put these up, would that be great? Just a couple posters like, how about you just quit? Right? They, like, but that's not why we're here. And when you think about, uh, we're not here to say Jesus motivates me to work hard. What we're here today is say, what has Jesus really done? And the way to really understand that is to understand this concept of replacement. And the way that we do that is we're going to look in the book of Hebrews. And I'm going to cover a little bit of history, but we're going to look in Hebrews chapter 10. So the history on the book of Hebrews, uh, we don't know exactly who write, uh, wrote it. Some people say Barnabas. There's different names. But the book of Hebrews has this idea that says, okay, I'm going to try to explain to everyone else, the Old Testament. And so we just spent a whole lot of time last week, if you were here last week, talking about all this history of exile and all the things that went with it. And so the book of Hebrews is explaining all this stuff that happens in the Old Testament so that it makes sense to us today. So we, we got a little bit of a deeper section, but I don't think it'll be too bad. Uh, the law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming. So they're talking, they were a big deal for the Jewish people. The Ten Commandments were the thing, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never by the same sacrifice repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. Otherwise, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshipers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. It's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. So I'll just stop there for a second. Anyone ever watch How They Built This? I probably bring this up once a year. Anyone watch How I Built This? Like how M&Ms are made? Does it, nobody? Nobody watches PBS? We have Netflix and Disney Plus. I mean, so, uh, 
if you watch How I Built This, it's utterly fascinating. A, it's just fascinating. Like they talk about how they make like a vacuum and it's fascinating. They see all the machines move around and things like that. They talk about how they make Skittles and they roll in this giant bowl and things like this and they, they get coated with the candy and how they put the shell on or they watch bottling. Has anyone ever? Oh. Shoot. Has anyone ever watched How It's Made? Every, yes, everyone, yeah, that's my favorite. That, this is a total side story, but I have a friend who's a 4.0, and we were talking about uh, his preference for girls, and I said, I like brunettes. Uh, or, no, I like burnettes. I couldn't pronounce it, and I thought it was burnettes. I said, I like burnettes, and, and he was thinking, I was talking about an individual, and I'm like, we're 17 at the time. I'm like, the only person named Burnett would be like 70 years old, so like, what is happening? <laughs> and then this goes on for a while. He's saying blonde hair, and, and then we're like five minutes into this, and he goes, oh, do you mean brunettes? That's not that far off, right? Like, I think you could have made the loop, uh, you know, made the jump. But anyway, uh, how it's made, if you've seen that, there's something fascinating about that and something appreciated. So just think, if you had kids, like, just pretend you like tortilla chips. And every time your kids, right, like, they just eat the tortilla chips and they taste, take off. What happens if every time you watched a video about all things, how the tortilla chips were made? And like that, you know how that happens with the stopgap cameras or whatever those are called, where it takes a picture every day and you see like the thing wiggle in the ground. That's how it happens on Sesame Street. And it shoots up and you'd see the corn being made and then they take the corn and they harvest it and the farmer's working and then they, they grind all the corn, it dries out and they grind it and then it goes to the mill and it's made into this like flour type thing. And I think it goes into circles and they cut it into triangles and then it gets deep fried and then it gets packaged and you see all the packaging. Like what kind of appreciation would you have? Like all kinds, like this just happened, um, if you ever go on like a brewery tour or you go to like, uh, uh, we just went to the Jack Daniels tour and I like Jack Daniels whiskey, we went and got to see the process and like how big this is and all the history of it, like 100 years or something like that and you're like, I really appreciate that. Every single time, just imagine that happens. Or all the work that went in like when you're going to read a book. What happens if every single time you were ready to eat like euros, you saw that process. Euros are made with lanyard. So it's a little bit different, right? Tortillas, not so bad. But what happens if you're like, hey kids, want some euros? We're just gonna watch a video. Here's the cute little lamb, right? And they're like, oh, it's like Easter. And then the lamb grows up and they're like, here it goes to this place. And then now the lamb is dying and now uh, they're taking the wool and now they're slaughtering the lamb and now we're processing the meat. Like, would your kids be vegetarian? <laughs> possibly, possibly. Um, if you grew up on a farm, it's a different reality. If you know, like, you eat chicken. My mom, and they had chickens on the farm. They had a 1,000 chickens. And she said, I couldn't eat chicken for years because, like, you see the process of, like, this massive chicken coop. And then they and she'd go get dinner. They'd have to go get a chicken, chop the head off, wait, boil it, right, the boiling water. They'd dip the feet in uh, the, from the feet, and then they'd pluck the feathers, and then they'd have to process this. And by the time it gets to the table, you're not ready to eat it. It's the same thing is true when you cook. Do you ever notice when other people cook, it tastes better? It could be because my wife's a better cook, but that, or, like when you're doing the process, you're like, what would it be like to see that happen? And for the people of Israel, every time they sinned, they had a visual reminder. So if you read like Leviticus, and we just don't do that that much, right? If you read the book of Leviticus, 
every morning, just imagine this, like if you lived in Jerusalem, every single morning they took a lamb and they cut his throat and they sacrificed it. So that, that was church. And every night they did the same thing. And every year, sometimes they would sacrifice bulls. Like a bull is a large animal. And so when you think of the temple, and I've said that before, we, ours is so sterile. But imagine like part of our service when you, instead of giving your offering plates up, like you put like an envelope in, many of you, or you, most of you give online, and you drop it in the offering plate, it goes by. What happens if they're just collecting animals and you just watch just slaughter the animals that they, and then sprinkle the blood on the, the horns? Would you have a different view? Uh, like if your kids messed up and they said, okay, this is what has to involve. Go get the, go get the lamb, it's gonna get killed. What they understood very, very clearly is sin equaled blood and sin equaled death. And I think that's something that's sort of passed by. And so for the people of Israel who are looking at this, he's trying to explain this. We're going to go back over it a little bit. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly, year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. Otherwise would they have not stopped being offered, for worshipers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. Like it doesn't work. And, it, and no matter how many lambs, right, just imagine like you're just weighed down by this sin and you're just a reminder, you just had to bring your lamb and we sacrificed the lamb like every single year. It doesn't work. I mean, I, I've just mentioned divorce, but I mean, imagine you got divorced and it's totally your fault and you pay alimony. Does that take away your guilt? When you think about your kids growing up outside your home, I don't think it does. Like, you, you do that process, and I don't think you feel like, I did a good thing today. I think it's just a reminder, like, every single day. Or what happens if you did something that hurt, like, one of your kids, and, like, every single day you had a look at it? That's essentially what has happened with this. The sacrifice is again and again and again and again. And the weight and the guilt and the death, and the blood. Like, that was your life. And you can try to run around it, but, like, the reality is, every year, you bring a lamb. Every year, you see this is what's all involved. It doesn't feel so good, and I think I'd prefer tortilla chips. Right? I think I'd actually prefer to see, like, meals that were made for me. Instead, it's my fault that this poor lamb has to die. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which never can take away sins. Like, we don't do sacrifices today. Not quite. But I think in our own minds once in a while, this is something that we struggle with. If you are here today, it's something that you probably struggle with that says, there are certain things that I do that do make me feel better, especially when it comes to spiritual things. We're not talking in general, we're just talking spiritual things. What are things that you do that make you feel better? Do you feel better when you go to Bible class? I do. And it's not just because of what I get from Bible class, I just feel better that I did it. Do you feel better when you go to church on Sunday? The strangest thing, do you, ever feel, do you ever feel better sometimes when church is long? Now I mean this, and I mean this. Like church goes long, it's like an hour and 20, and it feel like 
I really did my duty this week. You ever feel that way? Uh, you know how good I feel when I go to the area reformation service? When I had service here, and then I go in the afternoon, and then I look and I drag my kids along, and I'm like, man, I made my kids be extra good today. I'm a pretty good dad, right? Or you have devotion, or you, you give something up, or you have opportunity where all these people are going to do something wrong, and you say, I'm not going to do that. Spiritually, we kind of give our own sacrifices all the time. And it feels really, it feels really pretty good. And the reality that, that he's trying to say is like day after day, you could just say this, day after day, we stand before God and we do religious things. Again and again, we offer the same sacrifices and it never takes away sin. It doesn't work from a spiritual standpoint. You can have this sense that like I'm going to feel better and you feel better for a little bit, but it doesn't actually get to the root of what we're talking about. We reread this a little bit differently. This is what sacrifice is, right? The act of giving something valued for the sake of something else regarded as more important or worthy. I'm just talking about spiritually. I think in the world, sacrifice makes us feel good. And, and I'll get to where I'm getting at. Uh, if you just think about your life and the people that you're in charge in, do you feel good when you give things up for that person? Yeah. Right? Like maybe you had this big dinner and you decide, hey, I'm going to go to dinner with my wife instead. Um, for work, and you skip it, and you're going to do this with your family, do you feel good about that? I'd say yes. Do you feel good taking your money and giving it for you so your family can do something? I think it feels good. Do you feel good giving up time and things you like to do? Like, we complain a little bit, but inside, doesn't it feel pretty good? Like, I get to give this? There's a sense that there's something? Well, okay, so maybe you're not tracking with me fully. So let me tell you the story of a poodle. Uh, I we had, did not have a dog. We were never going to get a dog. And our friends convinced us to watch this dog that was like being fostered. So we watched the dog and this went really well, except then I thought, okay, I'm going to adopt this dog. The family really loved that. But we couldn't adopt the dog, which is a long story. So now it was my job, which I've told you before. I had to search all of Colorado to find a poodle and I got the wrong one. I thought it was an apricot color. It actually went red. So I put money down on this apricot poodle and we didn't get that poodle. I had to call him and said, can I get my money back? It's the wrong color. That doesn't sound vain. Uh, so, so found this other red poodle <coughs> and it's like a ton of money did you know dogs cost a fortune um, so it was like $1,200 and everyone can gasp now that I spent that much money that's as much as my daughter's car basically so, so I bought <coughs> we get this poodle and I was really I didn't know if I should do this and my friend who's really good at finance goes and I've told you this uh, he's like Jared that's like 10 bucks a month I'm like oh that's not bad 120 bucks a year times 10 years. <laughs> That's my price of my dog. So this is like an investment. So, <laughs> so we get the poodle and everything is great. And, but you know what the most uncomfortable feeling is? So this is great. We needed one that couldn't shed. and It was the right color. and He's a great dog. We love him. And you know what the hardest part about having a, a dog that you, is a poodle and you paid money for? Talking to the dog owners that rescue dogs. You ever notice that? Like, my dog, they, they don't even say their dog's name. They just tell you, that, oh, my dog's a rescue. And what am I supposed to say? My dog's a boutique? Like, I don't know what I'm like. <laughs> I didn't rescue him from anything. I rescued him from another middle-class family that would overpay for a dog. Like, that's what I saved my dog from. He was not, like, in the throes of danger. But why do I bring that up? Because there's something, there's something satisfying to say this dog is going to be hurt, but I gave up my time my effort. And some people have such a heart for animals that they get the dogs that need like medicine 
and it, they're on like courses of medicine so their heart can go out. I guarantee if you're a functioning human being, you find joy in giving something up. It's just a matter for what. There's joy in going to the basement and doing your workouts. There's joy in eating right. There's joy in giving up stuff for your family. All of this gives satisfaction. So why do I bring this up? As human beings, we love to sacrifice. Even though we say we don't, we love it because it makes us feel good. What do we have to admit when we go before God? That we can't. And it's the worst feeling ever. I see the appeal. I mean, if you grew up Roman Catholic or something like that, I see the appeal in penance. I see the appeal and I did something wrong and I can do these things so I feel better about it. And what the Bible says clearly again and again and again is when we have any sense that it's us who brings something to the table, God calls that sin. And when Christ goes to the cross, which we're going to look at in a second, he, he pays for all our sins and includes our own arrogance that says, it's my sacrifice and my own reluctance and your reluctance to say, I'm ready to say, Jesus, it's only because of you I stand here. I'm going to go back. I skipped some sections here. The beginning part really explains it. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice in the blood of the blood of Jesus Christ once for all. And then day after day, it gets into the priest did this, and it didn't work. Like a day after day, they, like lambs died in blood, and it's flowing, and they're like squeegeeing up all this blood, and, and I would, the, the guilt didn't work. And what Jesus is saying, once for all, that sacrifice worked. But when this priest, Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. You sit down when you're done with your work, Right? You sit down when you're done. And Jesus' work was so completely done. He wasn't just waiting like, hey, do you need anything else, God? No, his work was done, and he got to sit at the right hand of God. So now he explains it for us. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool as he stands in judgment. For by one sacrifice he made perfect forever those who are being made holy. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First he says, this is the covenant I will make with them. After that time, says the Lord, I will put my law in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. Then he adds, their sins and their lawless acts, I will remember no more. And where there has been, when these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. Let's take that in two parts very quickly. Uh, number one is it does not matter what you have done. It does not matter what you're wrestling with now. It does not matter your past. God says that sin is completely paid for and we're not going to sacrifice again and again and again. He doesn't say, make sure you're at church every week. Make sure you have Bible class every week. He doesn't say, like, make sure you go to the extra long services. Go to double every week. He's, that is all done. Christ has completely paid for it. And where these have been forgiven, sacrifice is no longer necessary. You just don't have to do it. So why do we do it? Because you get a certain beautiful joy that God says, I've paid the way and I've completely covered everything in love, in thanks, in opportunity. We get to come before him and worship and study and honor and serve out in this world. Amen. Heavenly Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you for this time together. So often we love to sacrifice. We'd like to think, no, I don't want to sacrifice, and we want to pretend we're, that we're selfish. We're selfish in a different way. Uh, we're selfish in that we want to sacrifice. We just want credit. 
We want credit for our own salvation. We want credit. We want people to look at us. And we do that in a different way. We do it in a secret way, a sneaky way, in that we serve and we love and we do all the right things. And instead, this is really somehow pointing back to us even when we're serving people. When we have hearts like this, take that away from us and help us to recognize that only you can pay for the sins of the world, and that includes us, and only you can make us whole. Only you can give us that true forgiveness so that our sins are completely forgiven. And only you can look at us and say the sacrifice has been paid. You no longer need anything from us. So enjoy. In a willful response, we give you everything. We give you our whole heart. We give you it all.